Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. So glad that I'm going to have a chance to speak today to Dr. Uh, Ellie Lee Zorkin Eisenberg. He's uh, got quite an impressive resume. I know he's been on with Carmen before, but I'm awfully glad to have him on the show myself. Uh, he's the head of school at the Israel Institute of Biblical Studies and founder of the Israel Bible Center. He's uh, an experienced scholar in Jewish context and culture of the New Testament. Awfully glad to have him on. We're going to talk today about mercy. Dr. Ellie, welcome. Uh, welcome, and thank you for having me. Yeah, so nice to have you on the show. I think there's a lot of us, including myself, at times will uh, be confused by exactly what mercy is. Sometimes I think, uh, do I know the difference between mercy and grace? Uh, so I sometimes kick that around, but I would love to dig into that with you today. Let's start with um, what exactly is mercy? Well, uh, look, um, it's very hard to get Jews to to define something because then we're going to have to agree on something, <laughs> which we normally don't know don't know how to do. Yes. So uh, let me just start by saying something very simple, and that is that uh, one of the best things that you can do in order to uh, to make your movement towards the definition. Is is to 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 ask how what the, what does the the English word gr- um, mercy actually means uh, in Hebrew, and um, the word for mercy in Hebrew is actually in plural, which is which is okay, uh, because even the word face is also in plural, and the word water is also in plural, so it's mm-hmm. not it's not that strange, and the word God is in plural, um, although it's only one God. Um, uh, but um, the word for mercy in Hebrew is rachamim. Um, and what's interesting is that in Hebrew, um, the word uh, for uterus, for a womb, uh, is rechem. So you could hear this very easily, the connection, right? Rechem, womb, and rachamim, mercy. So it's basically a womb in plural. You know, in in the, in the ancient times, and especially in the Hebrew language, uh, that is a very, very physical, very touchy, physical language. Everything is very, uh, not everything, but all things are very concrete. Uh, you, you, you could connect things um, uh, that you, in English, you would think that there is no connection. So what's connection between the, uh, uh, the womb and the mercies is very simple. Um, a child is preserved within the womb, and also God is uh, merciful to uh, the parents, especially to the woman, 
to give uh, to give them to entrust them with a child, and so this connection is a very very beautiful connection. You know, it's uh, just to give you an example of how something like this works in 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 other in other examples. Um, when uh, God reveals Himself as a as a tetragrammaton, as Christian scholars would later call it, when He reveals as a yud hey vav hey uh, to Moses, um, He uh, you know, when he hides them, the cliff of the rock, you know, the famous story, mm-hmm. he's pronouncing his name and he says, you know, the Lord, the Lord, as the main translation, um, merciful, long-suffering. And, and the Hebrew word there that that people, um, even in today's synagogues, as this um, this wording is repeated over and over and over and over during the Day of Atonement, is a, a paim. Uh, a pain, uh, uh, it means something like a long nose, and you'd say, what, what, what's, what does the, what does God's mercy and God's long suffering has to do with a long, supposedly a long nose of God, right? I mean, it sounds, sounds bizarre, but actually, it's a very, very simple thing because when you when you look at somebody's face. And somebody's face is basically the only part of the body that you could tell what is exactly going on in the, in, unless it's an actor, right? Mm-hmm. So you could see inside of the person by looking at the person's face. By the way, the Hebrew word for face uh, basically means interior, interior. So what's got to do with nose? Nose is getting visibly larger when someone is getting angry, right? So if you get angry, your nose... You know, I mean, it's not larger. It's not longer as Pinocchio, but it's but it's larger in the sense that it's, you're getting upset, or I'm getting upset when someone really, you know, um, really upsets me, right? Uh, which is, I'm not the kind of person that uh, gets upset uh, almost ever, but when I do, uh, people could probably tell my nose is 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 being is moving, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and so that's how ancient schools, um you you know use language. And that's how God had a long nose, and that's how it was right to translate it with a long-suffering God uh, of a great impatience. He's got a very long nose of patience. Basically, it takes a very long time to get actually get him upset. So, so mercy, um, I think, in the end, has to do with um, God's protection, God's uh, long-suffering. God being what, uh, who he is. It's so interesting, Dr. Ellie, when we started this, talking about mercy, I didn't think we'd get to a woman's womb, which is fascinating to me. And Yeah. <laughs> yeah and now the, the long nose. It, it's uh, incredibly interesting. I would have probably thought that mercy would be just God's feeling of compassion or pity towards me. Well, it could be. Again, you know... Um, Gentile Christians are wonderful with definitions, and I mean it as a <laughs> very positive statement. Oh, good. You know, and, and, and the Jews are just terrible at this because it's like we like uh, try to get us to systematize anything, and it's probably not going to happen. You know, the famous two Jews, three opinions, that's a gross understatement. You know, so, but that, that sounds like, like if after some thought, 
you know, it sounds like really um, a really good way to to look at this. I mean, to illustrate this concept, this difficulty of systematizing things and defining things, um, you know, look at the concept of uh, trinity or triunity, right? And don't worry, I'm not going to embarrass you on this show. Thank you. Um, but basically, if you <laughs> you're welcome, I hope so. <laughs> uh, so um, basically, if you look if you look at um, you know the uh, Old Testament and New Testament scripture. Not only the word Trinity is not mentioned, but also even the divinity of the Holy Spirit is not explicitly, I do believe in it myself, but it's not explicitly stated. I mean, what is stated is that uh, what, what can be shown very clearly is that somehow Holy Spirit is taking part in creation. Holy Spirit can be lied to, which means, you know, he or she actually in Hebrew. Holy Spirit is a she in Hebrew. Um, he, he can be lied to, which means she's a person. Okay, so uh, those things are clear. But when you come to the sort of definition of um, Trinity as a Christian doctrine that emerged later as Father, Son, and the Spirit, one God, but three, equal in power and glory, you're not you're not going to find that kind of sort of spelling out. Of all those things, I mean, you'll have you'll have. So I sometimes I ask if the apostles were presented with this um, with this definition that I just gave. You know, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, in three persons. You know, equal in power and glory, and yet um, and yet Son is subservient to the Father and the Holy Spirit to the Father and to the Son. That's a traditional, classical, right, uh, mm-hmm. uh, understanding uh, definition of Trinity. Um, and, um, you know, if the apostles, if the Jewish apostles were asked in the first century about that, I think they would be very, very puzzled as to why we needed to actually come up with such a definition, because they're not, they're certainly not thinking in those terms. Uh, and, but after some time and struggle, they would probably agree. That, and that's my feel. <laughs> that's my feel about this whole, the whole story. So, you know, um, I, I think I have ADD, so that's how my teaching gets so so exciting because I connect the things you would never imagine that I could connect. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, something I'm still show here. No, no, yeah. I love love the way your brain is working. Dr. Ellie Lee Zorkin Eisenberg is my guest. If we're talking about mercy today, and when we uh, think of mercy, I I sometimes would view mercy, um, if I was teaching a Sunday school class to first graders, I'd say it is a divine uh, willingness that God has to not punish. Would that be accurate, or should I not teach first graders? Why not? I mean, nowadays teaching first graders anything is kind of a dangerous business, as the Virginia <laughs> elections have shown, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Congratulations, by the way, to, to most hearers. Um, you know, um, yeah. I, I mean, look, as a simple as a simple thing, I think I think it's about right. You know, and in some sense, you don't really need to know Hebrew to affirm that, right? It's like obey your parents and the Lord. You don't need to know, uh, you know, Judea Greek or Judeo-Koine Greek in which New Testament and Septuagint were written, you don't need to get into this. There is a simplicity there. Actually, Leo Tolstoy, a famous Russian uh, writer of, what, 19th century he is, I think. Yeah, I think, pretty sure it's 19th century. Um, He has a phenomenal story. Uh, This uh, Russian Orthodox priest 
is uh, traveling. Now, do remind me to talk about Israel Bible Center, okay? So I okay. get in trouble. Yes. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but, so this this uh, Russian Orthodox priest is traveling on this, you know, on the Volga River, and it's a very wide and big river. And so, <clears throat> so he his assistant uh, just informed him that nearby there is a there is a little island, um, and there. For 10 or 15 years already, there's three monks that live there um, and, you know, dedicated to, 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 to the word and prayer. So he talks to the captain, they, you know, the commission will boat off the big ship to go to the, to go to the island. And just as he was told, there's the three monks, one is tall, skinny, one is short, little chubby, and one is like the normal looking. And uh, when they greeted him and he says, oh, my brothers, please tell me, you know, what kind of prayers, um, you know, help you in your, you know, in your communion with God. And they said, what prayers? Uh, we only know one prayer. He says, what do you mean? Uh they said, well, we hold hands together and we pray, dear God, we are three and you are three. Have mercy on us. Wow. And of course, the priest was dumbfounded. The priest said, wait a minute, this is like, what, what do you mean? Like, do you, first of all, it's not really a very theoretically correct prayer. And, and two, um, have you not heard about the Lord's Prayer? They're like, what is this? They, he says, well, our Father, hallowed be thy name. They said, uh, Father, we have never heard of this prayer. Can you please teach us this prayer? So he does his, you know, his his priestly duty, and he he teaches this uh, three monks uh, the Lord's prayer, and then with a sense of accomplishment, he gets back on the boat. He starts heading to the to the ship, and as he is almost coming to to the to the end of that uh, of that journey from the island to the to the ship, all of a sudden he sees three figures of men running on the water. And so they're running towards towards him and coming close to him to the boat and then really out of breath and saying, stop, stop, Father, we have forgotten the words of the Lord's Prayer. And of course, he looked at them and he says, my dear friends, I think you should you should just pray. There's three of us and there's three of you. Have mercy on us. <laughs> you know, there's... there's there's a beauty yeah. in the simplicity as well. So exactly. Let me t- uh, so it can get as complicated as you wish. I get. And, I, uh, yes, of course you'll get um, in, enormously nuanced. Go ahead. Yeah, I just need to take a short break. I'll be right back. Dr. Ellie Lezorkin Eisenberg is my guest. He's the uh, head of school at the Israel Institute of Biblical Studies and founder of the Israel Bible Center. We'll take a short break and be right back. talking about mercy today with Dr. Ellie Lezorkin Eisenberg. He is the head of school at the Israel Institute of Biblical Studies and founder of the Israel Bible Center. And I would love to hear a little bit about that, Dr. Ellie. 
All right. I, you know, first of all, thank you because I was like running out of great stories to tell you about <laughs> the mercy. Yeah, well, I got so, other uh, questions for you, just so you know. You're not off the hook yet. Good, 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 good. So Israel Bible Center is uh, really one of a kind school. I wish that 30 years ago, when I personally came to the Lord and, re- and um, came to the realization that uh, Jesus is my Messiah and he died for my sins, I wish that as a as a Jewish follower of Jesus, I had such a such an incredible um, Bible center uh, available online. Um, it, truly, I had to really glean over the years in so many places, so many insights that um, that were scattered. And um, and so Israel Bible Center basically is a school of thousands of students from over a hundred different countries of the world studying from the comfort of home uh, in the Netflix-like technology, yet with interaction with the faculty. And um, uh, basically, we deal with everything that uh, Christian seminaries do not deal with. Uh, with the Jewish background. Now, good Christian seminaries would also deal with the Jewish background, of course, of the of the New Testament, but they generally don't. You know, I'm a graduate of one, so I know. Um, so, um, so we basically uh, we are about culture, about context, about language, and languages of the Bible. Mm-hmm. And so we do the we we provide the kind of things that are um, that basically. Today, Christ followers absolutely need to be able to put themselves back into the shoes of the ancient people. You know, just today I got an an interesting email asking me um, to to order 185 of my books. One of the books is called 40 Days of Hebrew Devotions. You can get it on Amazon. But uh, we have a course like that at Israel Bible Center. Nice. And what's interesting is who who wrote it to me. Um, there was a person who was commissioned by a Catholic women monastery, uh, Catholic communion in the U.S., and they were ordering it for the entire monastery. Now, you'd think, well, I thought evangelical Christians alone were interested in this kind of thing. Not really. The Holy Spirit's been moving all around um, everywhere in the world and everywhere. Um, you know, wherever the Holy Spirit is, he's been working. And, uh, you know, if the Catholic nuns that are interested in, in Hebrew and in doing devotions with the Hebrew insights, you better believe things are moving in the world, you know. That's fantastic. So, um, the Israel Institute... Israel Institute of Biblical Study differs differs with Israel Bible Center in that that their um, uh, teachers provide live courses in Biblical Hebrew. So um, so Israel Bible Center is much more about Jewish context and culture. Israel Institute and, and that's uh, and that's recorded. So you can listen to it whenever you want. Israel Bible Center, you can just look it up on Google or whatever nice. it is that you use. Israel Institute of Biblical Studies, you can also look up, but that's live in real time. So that means that, for example, if I'm the teacher and you're taking Biblical Hebrew, I will meet you at a particular time once a week, 
and we have um, a very comfortable way for people to to learn a f- uh, biblical Hebrew and other languages as well, and move from from uh, f- from wherever it is that they found. If they don't know any alphabet, we're going to teach them the alphabet. We're going to mm-hmm. teach them how to pronounce with a live teacher. So so uh, that is a school also with actually that school is a three of four times larger than Israel Bible Center, but both are growing schools, and again, over 100 different countries are represented, Yeah, both studying online. All right, now, Dr. Ellie, thank you for that. If we're going to look at mercy one more time before our time runs out, because I want to get back to this, and I, I'm thinking sure. of a Lamentations chapter sure. 3, verse 32, that says that God's mercies never mm-hmm. come to an end. Boy, I have to say, that's making my day, reading that verse. I'd love for you to say more about that. Sure. Um, come to an end. Uh, well, look, uh, as everything in the Scripture, you have to take this, um, I don't want to use the phrase with a grain of salt, because that's not an appropriate phrase to use for looking at the Scripture, but you have to take this in parallel with other Scriptures. Mm-hmm. Um, when God does say, um, listen, my patience has run out, ran out. You're done, and I'm done with you. There are such things like that, of turning over somebody to Satan and to that sort. Um, there, there are difficult things, and yet, um, yet in um, in comparison, I mean, think about think about the, the difference um, in the curse that's given to to those who disobey, it goes up to the fourth generation, right? But the mercy, the blessing, is going up to a thousand generations. So this biblical language of, you know, forever and ever, may or may not mean forever and ever, but it does mean that God is a long-nosed, you see? Mm-hmm. That he's, he's extremely, he's extremely patient. And, you know, when we human beings are trying to grasp the, the reality and the, uh, and the measure, and remember uh, Apostle Paul says, you know, to measure with all the saints, uh, you know, uh, the height, the width, the breadth uh, of, the, of the love of God, you know. And when, when we're trying to do that, the only way to explain it to us is to say forever and ever. But, you know, in reality, you know, I think, um, uh, I think there, is the, there is somewhere, uh, somewhere patience of God does run out. You know, and but at the same time we have to we have to somehow balance this. It's it's a little bit like like grace and law, right? People always pitch it, pitch one against another, while the opposite of grace is not law, it's disgrace, and opposite of law is not grace, it's lawlessness, right? So so we the, those concepts are, are the kinds of concepts that actually don't need to be mixed, uh, don't need to be pitched one against another. You know, does God have the end of his patience? Of course he does. That's what hell is all about, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, is God's mercy forever and ever? Of course it is, because he has promised to to be merciful and to bless and to, and to be long-suffering. <laughs> that's, that's how I would put it. Mm-hmm. Appreciate that. It's been awfully nice uh, meeting you and spending some time with you. Thank you so much for doing the show today, and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Bill, it's been my, my privilege, my pleasure, and again, 
in preparation for this. Uh, thank you so much for your patience. Yeah, amen to that. Dr. Elliot Lezorkin Eisenberg has been right. my guest. We'll take a little break. We'll be right back. love look like? I think most people that listen to this station know exactly what it looks like, but we're going to talk today to Jared C. Wilson. He's written a brand new book called Love Me Anyway, How God's Perfect Love Fills Our Deepest Longings. Jared is an assistant professor of pastoral ministry at Spurgeon College, and he's author in residence at Midwestern Seminary and director of the Pastoral Training Center at Liberty Baptist Church, all in KC, Missouri. Jared, welcome. Bill, thanks so much for having me, brother. Yeah, you know, I once called you Jared Wilson, and then I got, like, some misdemeanor fine, and I had to pay the fine because I dropped the C. So you're, no. Oh, no. yeah, yeah. So it's <laughs> FAA regulations. I got to say Jared C. Wilson. I got to make sure I get it right. <laughs> well, I guess I appreciate that. But. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So congratulations on this book. You know, I'm a fan. So let's talk about it. Sure, let's do it. Now, it's called Love Me Anyway, and I love the idea that um, there's a gazillion songs written about love, and they're always going after the most desired feeling of the human heart. What is so great about love? (laughs) Well, (laughs) um, what's so great about real love, of course, is that it sees exactly who we are um, and and doesn't walk away, doesn't flinch, right? I think that's... I mean, that's the deepest desire. We all, we all want to be loved, uh, but the reason why I titled the book Love Me Anyway is because really what we all want is to be loved anyway, that somebody would see the mess that we are and, um, and say, you know what, I'm not going anywhere. I'm, I'm sticking with you. Well, we keep coming back for more, even if we find it doesn't satisfy or we get hurt or our heart gets broken, we keep showing up for more. Well, I, you know, we're we're wired for it. I mean, I, you know, the Bible says that we're made in the image of God, and we lo- we know from First John chapter four that God Himself is love. Um, I think that's referring to um, you know the 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 love within the Trinitarian Godhead that that you know the Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Father and so on and so forth. And so, to be made in God's image is to be made uh, for love, to know love, and and to give love. But of course. Since the fall, when sin entered the world, um, everything just so messed up. We we uh, we look for love in all the wrong places, as, as the song says. Um, and and even the love that we give is usually tainted with some kind of self interest. And and so we need you know the love of God to come kind of re- reframe everything for us and 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 rewire our hearts, so to speak. Jared, I know we all want unconditional love, and I, I can we get that outside of what comes down from heaven? Um, I don't, I don't know. I, I think we can get glimpses of it. I think um, when when our hearts are really tuned to the grace 
that God has given us, we can uh, really love people at, at, at our best, answer that calling to love people well. But it's, I think, a great irony that because um, our love is, is uh, at least this side of heaven, it still has that kind of – there's still a whiff of self-interest in it yeah. because, because we're all sinners. Really, the only place – the great irony of Christianity, the only place to find perfect love for even sinners is from a holy, sinless God, the one who has, has no stain, has no corruption, has no sin, is the only one who can actually love, uh, love sinners with no strings attached. I was thinking of, uh, did Jesus experience unconditional love when he was on earth? I mean, I remember him in the Garden of Gethsemane going, hey, guys, can you stay awake with me? Maybe keep me company for a little while? I would think if they were getting, giving him unconditional love, they'd go, yeah, I don't care how tired I am. I'm there for you. You, you, you would think so. But isn't it a wonder then that uh, for us, the good news is even while they were napping, he, he, he wasn't quitting. He was pers- <laughs> in his love towards them. Yeah. Um, I'd love for you to talk about the phrase, God is love. I mean, I think most Christians go, I get that. Um, but I would love for you to talk about that. What What does that mean, and how exactly is that true? Yeah. Well, what's wonderful about it is um, that it doesn't just say—John uh, doesn't just say that God has love or that God is loving. The, those things are true, of course, but he says God is love. And I always scratched my head about that and wondered, how, you know, what does that mean in terms of love needing an object, right? So this is the way my brain works. I think for, for someone to, to love or to be loved means that there must be a, something to receive that love to, mm-hmm. or to be the object of that love. Well, there was a time when only God existed— uh, you know, before anything else was, God was because He is an uh, He is the uncreated Creator, um, and so there was a time when when only God existed. So how is it that God can be loved? Well, the doctrine of the Trinity only Christianity actually can explain this. The doctrine of the Trinity explains this, as I said um, earlier. The 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 reality that there are three persons who make up the one God, uh, who are simultaneously and co-equally God explains how God could be loved, because there is a love between the three persons of, of the Trinity um, that has existed um, from eternity past. And then what's even more fascinating about it is when God gets around to creating man and woman in his image, and some people come along and they say, well, you know, God made people because he wanted someone to love, or he needed someone to love. And we can say, um, well, no, God doesn't need anything, and and you know there, there's no deficiency in God. He is um, he is absolutely perfect and, and self sufficient in in his trinitarian self, and so he made us uh, to know his love and to experience his love, but needing nothing from us. It's completely unilateral in in that sense, and that gives us now even a picture of the gospel. That uh, you know the Bible says there is no one who seeks God. Um, you know, th- those of us who are lost, we're we're not, you know, um, honoring God with our lives and those sorts of things. And he intervenes, he interrupts with his love. He unilaterally gives love to people who um, can do nothing to add to him, um, to improve him or increase him. 
it's uh it's a total act of giving um on 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 his part which uh is just a wonderful picture of of grace mm-hmm. jared c wilson is my guest we're talking about his new book called love me anyway how god's perfect love fills our deepest longings it sounds like when you say god is love jared it sounds like you know he's got he's got his uh, name on that patent which is kind of exciting but not only that but he creates in us our very desire to love it comes from him that's right. The Bible says we love because he first loved us. Uh, we are not able to give something that we don't have. Um, and so I, I, you know, I even think even among unbelievers, when they approximate the, the kind of sacrificial love, a kind of agape love, that's really a function of, of us being made in the image of God, that, that even unbelievers who have you know, kind of suppressed this knowledge uh, it still can't help but kind of sometimes come to the surface and, and uh, exhibit itself because we really are different and we really are made to reflect the goodness and, and the reality of God. But it's interesting you say about, you know, uh, uh, I love that turn of phrase that, that he has the patent on love because, you know, my book kind of walks through First Corinthians 13 and each chapter is kind of, you know, takes a little clause. Uh, in that passage and and explores it. And w- one of the, the conclusions that I come to at the end of the book is that um, while we are called to love other people this way, in, in the way that 1 Corinthians 13 would call us to, really we see the perfect manifestation of, of, of 1 Corinthians 13 love in Jesus himself. And you could almost replace the word love with Jesus and the meaning would still be there, and it would tell us something hugely important about Christ and and the good news that that uh, he is not self seeking, that he uh, keeps no record of wrongs, that he isn't irritable, that uh, uh, he doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing, um, and then of course you know Jesus never ends, and Jesus is the greatest. Um, it, it's it, you know First Corinthians thirteen gives us almost a portrait. Of, of perfect love that we see, of course, fulfilled in, in Jesus himself. I sometimes feel overwhelmed by Scripture, and I say that in a really good way, because I can read a chapter a hundred times, and on the hundred and first time, I think to myself, how did I miss this? <laughs> and you find this new excitement about a, a passage that you've read over and over. And so you've read First Corinthians 13, I bet, a lot of times in your life, and We've heard it a lot of times at weddings, and I wonder if you had one of those aha moments reading it as you studied to write this book, Love Me Anyway, that you thought, I've never seen this. <laughs> yeah, well, kind of through the process, yes. Um, and you're right. Like, you know, 1 Corinthians 13 may be, aside from maybe John 3.16 and, and a few, you know, uh, scattered sayings from the Sermon on the Mount or something, it may be the most popular or most famous passage of scripture it's it 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 is to weddings what amazing grace is to funerals it's it's a it's just uh uh, it's just out there when somebody thinks of of love and we need a word on love and they want some kind of whiff of religion uh they go to first corinthians 13 but the bar that it sets (laughs) the standard of love that first corinthians 13 sets is so high and so daunting and when you get down to um, the end, 
where Paul says, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Um, I've wondered, I've, I've always wondered, what in the world could that could that mean? Because, like faith, ju- like we're justified by our faith, and hope, you know, hope doesn't put us to shame. Jesus is the is is the hope of is our hope of glory, etc. But Paul is saying that love is better than those things, or is greater than those things. And I think so. The the hypothesis that I sort of offer in the book, the conclusion that I come to, is that the reason Paul says love is the greatest is because love endures into heaven. Right? We we, we won't need faith in heaven because the object of our faith will be realized. In fact, Paul says that in First Corinthians thirteen also that uh, um, you know now we know in part, but then we will know fully. Then face to face. We are no, uh, we will know as we are known. So when when we have Christ, when we see Christ face to face, we won't need faith anymore. We won't have to walk by faith because our faith will become sight when we finally uh, are, are you know uh, when we finally get to see Him. And the same with hope as well, because um, hope is a conviction of things not seen, and uh, um, we'll get to actually uh, see Christ, and our hope will be fulfilled. Uh, the blessed hope is his returning. and But love, because God is love and God is forever, love will go on forever. Uh, John, uh, Jonathan Edwards said that heaven is a world of love. So we will be sustained forever into all eternity by love. I think I think that was probably the biggest aha for me. Yeah. Now that's the happiest news I can hear any day that ends <laughs> in the letter Y. So let me take a short break. I've got good news. Uh, I've got five copies of Jared's book to give away, thanks to Jared and his publisher. The book is called Love Me Anyway, How God's Perfect Love Fills Our Deepest Longings. And to get in on the drawing, all you have to do is text the word book to 877-933-2484. Again, text the word book to 877-933-2484. My guest is Jared C. Wilson. And his book is Love Me Anyway. Be right back. I knew the text line would light up with people wanting a copy of this book. I've got five copies to give away of Jared C. Wilson's new book, Love Me Anyway, How God's Perfect Love Fills Our Deepest Longing. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. Get in on the drawing. Uh, Jared, I've already had a listener ask, what does the C stand for? I'm going to guess Charles or Chester. <laughs> no, it's actually Coy, which was my father, uh, my grandfather's name, C-O-Y. Oh, that's Coy. very cool. That was your grandfather's name. That's right. Um, yeah, my uh, my mother's dad. Okay, that's very that's very cool. Thanks for sharing that. Um, yeah. All right, let's get back to your book. And when we love others, and we should, and God tells us to, and we should want to, um, how does that reflect the glory of God when we do that? Maybe an easy well, question. Yeah, well, it reflects the glory of God because um, God loves 
And when we um, actually lay our our lives down, either literally or just in the everyday of uh, crucifying our flesh and setting aside self-interest and actually pursuing the good of others and the glory of others, um, we picture what God does in sending his son um, who laid aside his own life, who, who came not as a, um, you know, conquering, uh, um, you know, judge, but as a redeeming servant. Um, you know, it, it, it reflects the reality of God when we love others um, as we would want to be loved or as God has loved us. Mm-hmm. I love that old Billy Graham line that it's God's job to judge and my job to love. Mm, uh, so it's so important uh, that we, we love, but I sometimes feel awfully feeble uh, in my attempts to love when I think of trying to reflect the glory of God because God's love is so perfect and unconditional and amazing, something I can't even begin to grasp. So it's hard for me to think when I do something, you know, kind of whatever it is, minor, trying to help somebody or serve them, I'm, I'm in some way reflecting the glory of God. Yeah, you know, and this is the thing that, um, Bill, I, I try to explore in the book as well, because when, when Paul says that love never fails or love you know, never ends, um, I wonder about that as well, because there's so many times, for instance, when you love somebody who doesn't love you back, you know, um, th- that experience is so common. Um, I wrote the book for anyone who has ever struggled, really, with the concept of love, not just with with feeling love themselves or, or you know, um, that lonely feeling of, you know, wondering if I'll, if I'll ever really know love. I, you know, I wrote the book for people like that, but also for people who would say, you know what, I've, I've been loving my mom and dad for a long time, and it just doesn't seem to have any effect, or I've got a prodigal child who, you know, we just, they almost seem like a black hole. You just keep pouring love out, and it doesn't find any purchase. It doesn't seem to be any effect or, you know, people who've had friends or, or other, you know, family members or who felt burned by church or where we just keep pouring out love and it doesn't seem to have any effect. We might wonder like how in the world could Paul say that love doesn't fail if when I love this person, all I get is, you know, thanklessness and, and, you know, no response. Well, I think what Paul is saying is that all of our efforts to love, including, if not especially, when we love people who don't love us back, that is being treasured in heaven. That is is reflecting the glory of God who loves people who can can never love him back perfectly. <laughs> um, you know, this side of heaven, uh, none of us loves God the way we ought to, even those of us who love him a lot. We don't love him the way he ought to be loved, and yet he keeps loving us. So when we love people who won't repent, when we love people who who won't uh, um, say they're sorry, when we love people who just keep running away, that is a picture of God's grace as well, because he loves people like us who, who um, you know, don't receive his love perfectly and don't return his love perfectly. Jared, it's not easy being a follower of Christ, is it, at times? No. Because yeah, I think of listeners that are in this uh, covenant marriage and they're not receiving love or worse, they're being abused or uh, being injured in some way, emotionally, physically. It's, just, it's unbelievably devastating to hear stories like that. 
Yeah, and and the reality of the book, I mean, the book is not really, you know, there are pieces here and there that deal with, um, you know, definitions of love and things like that, but it's not an academic book. It it, it comes from a very personal place. Um, I've patterned each of the chapters after popular songs about love. So every chapter title is a is a love song. Every subhead in each of the chapters is a love song. I tell a lot of personal stories, and it's really kind of the story uh, transparently of just my own life and struggles with love. And and that's who I'm writing the book for is is people, you know, anyone who's laid awake at night staring at the ceiling, whether they're next to a spouse or not, and wondered, will I ever feel loved? Will I ever know love? That's who I wrote the book for. Mm. Anyone who's ever struggled with that, because it's so as as common as the search for love is, just as common is this struggle with with wondering if we'll ever really know true love. And then the word love is getting used in many different ways nowadays. When you see signs that say love is love, what do you <laughs> what do you think when you see that? I, I, it feels nonsensical to me. <laughs> <laughs> kind of does me too. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know there's a whole ideology behind that, which of course I reject. Right. Um, because that the kind of love that's being espoused there uh, is is barely love at all. If it is love at all, it's it's such a, a self exalting self-validating, self-fulfilling kind of pursuit, which is the exact opposite of what we see in in the Bible about what true love is. Mm -hmm. So the accuser, also known as the enemy, also known as Satan, would want you to feel unlovable and sad and tired and longing for more. So when you're feeling that way, what encouragement could I get from the book? Uh, Well, the book just has a relentless focus on on the good news, which, um, you know, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He comes to discourage and demoralize. The difference between um, the, the Spirit's conviction and the devil's condemnation is that the devil will bring up our sin and leave us there. And what I try to do in the book is continually point to the reality, the radical reality of grace, that that the what Jesus has done on the cross is ultimate proof. There couldn't be any better proof that the Holy God um, actually loves sinners. That He can that He could even love somebody like you or me. Mm-hmm. Jared C. Wilson's book is called "Love Me Anyway," and it is a, a scripturally sound and quite engaging book about uh, the one who does love us, uh, the one who loves us unconditionally, and. I've got five copies to give away, so if you want to text the word book to 877-933-2484. Jared, I know that listeners um, will be uh, picking up the book. Uh, many will. Many will want to uh, read it. What do you hope they walk away with? Well, you know, I, I love what Martin Luther once said. When he struggled with this concept of God's love, he said, if I could just believe God loved me, I would stand on my head for joy. <laughs> and that, that line has always resonated with me, and that's what I would want. If, if somebody could finish the book and feel like they feel so loved that they would stand on their head, <laughs> that's, uh, that's the major takeaway that I hope somebody has, that they would know the love of God. I mean, it's a lifelong journey. I remember at my, my younger days when I would hear, you know, God loves you, I, I just didn't know what that meant. It was real hard for me to understand as a teenager. 
I thought, well, I'm glad he likes me and loves me. But, yeah. you know, as you get older, you start to go, oh, the love. I get it now. <laughs> the sacrifice. The When I was uh, an enemy of the cross, he came and died for me. It's powerful. Yeah, it's all it's all academic, isn't it? It feels, I mean, I intellectually, I guess, believe that God loved me. But it wasn't until my life fell apart and I was in the midst of a terrible depression and everything was broken around me. And I, I had no earthly hope to to see or to believe in. When I heard the message of the gospel then, which I had heard all my life, um, it, it, it resonated in a way like it never had before. Suddenly the love of God became real uh, to me in that moment. There's something about hearing the, the message of God's love in the midst of our brokenness that I think strikes us in a way that Hearing it in times of comfort, or uh, um, you know, times of ease, uh, yeah. cannot. Jared, I appreciate you sharing some of the um, issues you had with uh, depression. Was it circumstantial, or did it require some meds, or is that none of my business? No, <laughs> um, you know, I don't know. It was circumstantial. I, I, I didn't see a, a doctor about it. I didn't see um, you know uh, a counselor about it at the time. Um, but, uh, it was pretty serious, um, you know, suicidal thoughts and, wow. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not doubting that. any of that. I'm just, you know, there's yeah. so many issues now regarding mental health and yep. there's people have anxiety and depression and, and it's always good to hear a voice that says, this is what I did. It's always helpful to the discussion. Yeah. The Lord is good. He was very kind to me. Uh, even when I couldn't feel it, I can look back and know he was, he was very kind to me. Yeah. Jared, thank you so much for hanging with me this afternoon. It's been great. It's always good to be with you. Thanks so much, Thank you. Thank you so much. Jared C. Wilson has been my guest. Love Me Anyway, How God's Perfect Love Fills Our Deepest Longing is the name of his book. I've got five copies to give away. Text the word book over to 877-933-2484. A lot of texts coming in, so this will fill up fast. Again, 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.